Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. It is the final Friday of the month of October. Uh, We've got lots of good news to share. We've got lots of prizes to share. And today is the final drawing for our Pastor of the Week uh, competition as we're We had so many dozens of churches reach out. I'm so very, very grateful to each and every one of you who took the time to go to kbrightradio.com. That's K-B-R-I-T-E radio.com. Click on the banner for Pastor Appreciation Month, which is every year. It's the month of October. And in preparation for Reformation Day, which is coming up this Monday, and oh, by the way, there's also that thing with the candy, you know, and the kids and the costumes. But in preparation for that, we have our final Pastor of the Week uh, to celebrate today, and we will be doing so during the final 15 minutes of the program here at 4.15 Pacific Time. Um, And I say that for our Colorado listeners who are on Mountain Time. And recognizing, of course, that uh, we've had so many dozens of great candidates to choose from, uh, first I wanted to thank you as a bottom line listener for uh, taking the time to go and click on and nominate your pastors. I mean, we had some great nominations from all over Southern California. We're so very grateful to be able to honor them. And trust me, you know, I I have to admit, I hadn't, Teresa told me how nice the prize pack was going to be for the pastors. I hadn't really paid attention to it. You know, you walk in and out of the studio or sometimes doing the show from home or, you know, whatever it is. And I hadn't had a chance until earlier this week. It must have been Tuesday. And I was walking down the hallway on my way out the door after the program was over. And we had such a huge response to our pre-born push that day. How big, you ask? I'll tell you later on in the program. It's it's really remarkable. But I was walking out and I saw these baskets. They're wonderful. They're beautiful. They've got fantastic resources in there. You know, got a couple of books, DVDs. I mean, things things that are really designed. It's it's kind of the, the way we're trying to recognize pastors is to acknowledge the fact that for the most part um, I know there are pastors that have kind of baked into their contracts that they're going to have some kind of uh, you know maybe a sabbatical every four or five years or you know a time to get away and pastoral ministry never ends I remember I learned early on in my internship uh, during my pastoral ministry days at Lutheran Church of the Cross that there's really no such thing as quote-unquote part-time ministry. There are some people who say, oh, yeah, I do that, and then I also have a full-time job or, you know, volunteers, whatever. But when you're doing ministry, you are, I mean, you're on. You're, you're doing it all the time. And if you've ever, pastors, if you've ever made that hospital visit after midnight, raise your hand. I appreciate that. I mean, that's, it, it's, it comes with the territory. And so there's really, you know, to, to paraphrase Andre Crouch, I mean, how can I give thanks? I, that's obviously my tribute to God be the glory, but I think as Christians especially, we are wise to take the time to recognize pastors who operate in pastoral ministry. And you'll notice that uh, for the past couple of weeks, we haven't always chosen the senior pastor at a church. I mean, we've had a lot of people nominate like the adult ministries pastor or the singles ministry or youth pastors have been nominated. And I love that. I I love the fact that we're recognizing that churches have more than one pastor in some cases. Some cases there's one guy who tries to do everything um, but nonetheless, I'm, I'm grateful for everyone who has uh, recognized their pastoral team and then um, has asked us if we would uh, consider them for a Pastor of the Week. So we have one more Pastor of the Week name to draw, and uh, that pastor is going to receive 
quite the prize pack from, uh, and again, the thing that's beautiful is other ministries that are part of the team here at the Bottom Line Show affiliate KBRT in Southern California. Uh, they're the ones who stepped up. Uh, Pastor Rick's Daily Hope stepped up. David Jeremiah, Turning Point, stepped up. Uh, Charles Stanley, I'm in touch, Alistair Begg. They've all stepped up with resources for these pastors, and I'm so grateful that they have. Um, so we, if you are the pastor who is our final selectee for the uh, uh, prize pack, you're going to get books and DVDs and yeah, I mean, kind of a, mi- I, I like to call it a mini sabbatical all in one really nice presentation. But then your congregation is going to be blessed as well. These Bibles are really sleek, kind of a white cover from Alistair Begg's Truth for Life Ministries. Every church whose pastor is named Pastor of the Week receives 100 copies of God's Word. And in a day, let's face it, what we... California's Proposition 1 is on the ballot. Uh, of course, if you've got your ballot in the mail, you can vote early. Um, official election day is November the 8th, and I believe they're actually allowing ballots to come in through the mail um, up to November 15th or something like that. I mean, that, and again, if they've changed the law based on California legislative process, that's fine. I know in uh, Delaware they tried to change the mail-in voting laws for early voting and things like that, and it was ruled unconstitutional because it had to be voted on by the people, not approved by the legislature. So anyway, uh, we, we do need to vote. We need to vote no on Prop 1. Uh, but your vote for your pastor is a yes vote, and those copies of Scripture are going to become a lot more precious if Governor Newsom is successful with things like allowing California to be an abortion sanctuary, to be a safe haven for transgender youth who apparently are going to come flocking to California to have their surgeries done. In all honesty, let's be real. There aren't going to be that many teenagers coming here and saying, I have to run away from my parents. There are going to be a lot of crazed parents who are bringing their children here and saying, I want my boy to become a girl. I want my girl to become a boy. I mean, that... The reality is the five-year-olds aren't driving this. The 10-year-olds aren't driving it. It's their parents. And all it takes is one parent in the equation. Uh, Read the work that Brandon Showalter, Christian Post, has done on that regard. All it takes is one parent. You know, these grandparents are reaching out to him saying, look, I can't see my granddaughter anymore because she is determined to become a boy and her parents are shielding me because I keep telling her she's a girl. It's really crazy. I mean, there's there's definitely a mental health crisis among young people today. And unfortunately, a lot of adults are the driving force behind it. But interestingly enough, if you've ever wondered, well, can we pray for our kids? Of course, pray for your kids and grandkids. No question about it. But also understand, too, that the word of God and having a healthy church experience, though it might seem out of date, and a lot of churches are saying, yeah, we're not drawn well with the kids anymore, and maybe, uh, you know, maybe, just maybe, uh, we we need to rethink the way we do youth ministry. There's been a new large-scale study that's been conducted by an organization new to me. I'm not familiar with Springtide Research Institute. But basically, they are saying, they, they published a study called The State of Religion and Young People 2022. Mental health, what faith leaders need to know. They held a conference recently uh, called a conference on Gen Z, mental health, and religion. They surveyed 10,000 young people, and by remember, young people today means ages 13 to 25, about their beliefs, about their practices, their behaviors, their relationships, which are huge to them, and of course, their mental health. And they found that during the pandemic years, Generation Z, ages 13 to 25, said that the pandemic years were when their mental health was challenged the most. 
53% of the respondents said that their mental health was, it was more concerned than school, than relationships, than job prospects, than the economy, than abortion, any of that stuff. Just their mental health was the biggest challenge. By the way, in that same study, only one-third, 34% of young people ages 13 to 25, say that they are comfortable talking about their mental health struggles with adults. Now, that kind of stinks. <laughs> You'd like to think that, I mean, we were taught when we were raising our kids, if you can get your kids to talk to you about intimacy, you know, sexual intimacy, thing like that, they'll talk to you about anything. But what also is true, interestingly enough, is, and I recall this from my days as a junior high and high school youth leader at my church, sometimes it's the people at the church that can provide more of a spiritual buffer and kids will lean into that. It's very interesting. 51% of the students that were surveyed are the young people ages 13 to 25 said that during the pandemic they turned to prayer more and that actually helped. By the way, this study is not just of Christian kids. It's of young people in general. 51% said they turned to prayer. 57% said that they turned to, quote, new spiritual practices. And so what they found in the study was these young people were wrestling with mental health issues, and a lot of people, more often than not, were turning to the church. They were turning to organized religion, going to a Sunday school or a Bible study class, reading God's Word and praying. I mean, some of them said, we read more. We I did more yoga. I spent more time in nature, you know, that kind of stuff. But it's very interesting. Um, the study concluded that while religion and spirituality, quote, can be str strong antidotes to much of what contributes to mental health struggles among young people, and that people who are religious are better off mentally and emotionally, that's the good news, only 35% of those responded said that they are currently connected to any kind of religious community, with Christianity being the most common. So let's take into consideration prayer, and the study of God's word and fellowship with God's people as being not only good for your spiritual growth and development, but also important for your mental health as well. Speaking of studying God's word, as we continue today here on this Good News Friday, uh, good news from the Old Testament. A lot of things have been destroyed in our culture. Our families are being attacked. Businesses have been wiped out by the pandemic. How can you rebuild what has been ruined? but do so in a way that is God-honoring. Dr. Ian Duguid is going to join me on the other side of this break. We'll talk about a brand-new study guide that he has written that focuses on the Old Testament books of Ezra and Nehemiah that help us to see how to rebuild what is ruined in God's economy. We're going to talk about that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Clients love her. Insurance companies fear her. No other personal injury attorney knows the inner workings of insurance companies like Stephanie Cover of Cover Law. In a cutthroat industry where most attorneys don't even last five years, Stephanie Cover spent 20 years defending insurance companies, never compromising her integrity despite constant external pressure. During those 20 years, Stephanie Cover gained invaluable insight into the tricks of the trade. She knows more about your insurance policy than your adjuster does. Today, Cape Wright's personal injury attorney uses her unparalleled knowledge of the insurance company's playbook to call their bluff every time, even earning the grudging respect from lawyers and adjusters who know they can't get anything by her. She used to defend them. 
Now she beats them at their own game. Schedule a free, no-obligation consultation at kbrightradio.com slash coverlaw. She knows the other side. Well, today here on The Bottom Line, I'm going to talk about a couple of Old Testament books that often don't get a lot of limelight, but uh, I think they certainly deserve them, especially when you consider that uh, oftentimes when we study the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah, we kind of might read them sequentially and say there's a lot of... Uh, repetition, maybe some overlap to it. have a brand new book to talk about today here on The Bottom Line, Ezra and Nehemiah, the focus on rebuilding what's ruined. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. The author is Dr. Ian Duguid, who received his PhD at Cambridge University and his MDiv from Westminster Theological Seminary and his uh, undergraduate degree at the University of Edinburgh. He's the author of Ezekiel and the Leaders of Israel, Esther and Ruth, Daniel and Song of Songs. Uh, he's a, uh, got a, a lot of Old Testament history here. As a matter of fact, he's a professor of Old Testament at Westminster Theological Seminary. Dr. Ian Duguid, welcome to the Bottom Line Show. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Let's talk about Ezra and Nehemiah, for example. Uh, I, I would imagine I, I always I use this line a lot, but I think it's uh, it, it's really apropos when it comes to these two books. I think of uh, uh, the late Stuart Briscoe, who just re- recently went home to be with the Lord, and he would whenever he would come to a passage like this, he'd say, uh, "Now let's turn to Ezra or Nehemiah. You'll find it on the cleaner pages of your Old Testament." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> give us kind of a general overview, since these books do kind of go together hand in glove. Well, they do, but intriguingly, we often don't treat them together. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe we can talk about why Nehemiah attracts more attention than Ezra does. Mm-hmm. But uh, originally, one book uh, with with an overarching structure that connects the, the what we call two books together. Uh, these are books that come from the end of the Old Testament period, uh, after Israel had been in exile in Babylon and had uh, returned to the land, uh, and uh, and were trying to rebuild and uh, hence the title, Rebuilding What's Ruined. Uh, And uh, I think they're very applicable to our Christian lives, because uh, even though we're drawn to what we might call the victorious Christian life books, you know, Mm -hmm. books, the uh, Exodus and the Conquest and uh, the glory days of David and Solomon, uh, I I don't know about you, but my life doesn't often look like that. Um, I'm often... I uh, often find myself living in a mass, surrounded by people who are a mass, surrounded by churches that are a mass, uh, <laughs> wondering, you know, how, how do we get here, and, and is, is there any hope for us? Yeah. Uh, and I think that th- this book, Ezra Nehemiah, is written to people who are dealing with discouragement. They got very excited when they returned back to start rebuilding, uh, but then they quickly discovered that life is really hard. You know, they're mm-hmm. living in somebody else's empire, uh, and they're trying to rebuild the, you know, the temple and all of the structures that go with that. Uh, and on every side, there's somebody opposing them, mm-hmm. and there's bureaucracy. I mean, we, we, we know nothing about, you know, politicians slowing process down at all, do we? Um, and, and enemies and traitors and their own weakness. And, uh, yeah, it's very tempting in a day, day like that to kind of withdraw from the whole uh, building God's kingdom uh, work and uh, just to settle on rebuilding your own house and, yeah. and trying to uh, to build your career and your family. But I think this book uh, encourages us, challenges us, and gives us a very realistic perspective of what we should expect life to be like. Boy, and, and I wish that weren't true, but I, I, I hear and resonate with every word you're saying. Dr. Ian Duguid is my guest today here on The Bottom Line, and we're talking about his brand new uh, book called Ezra and Nehemiah, Rebuilding What's Ruined, 
taking a look at these two Old Testament books that were once one. Uh, we've got a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, talk to the person right now, Dr. Duguid, who uh, has read through these before and kind of sees them, you know, it's chronological, well, this happened and I understand it and it was ruined and now they had to rebuild it. And they kind of get stuck on things like I did uh, when I f the first started, when I first became a Christian in my late teens, early 20s. And I would read this and say, well, that's kind of a pain. How are you supposed to rebuild the wall and carry a weapon at the same time? You know, that type of stuff. <laughs> now, right. now that I've had, you know, you know, 40 or you know, four decades here to, to understand how those concepts work. Uh, do you get the sense that and I, I don't mean any disrespect by this. Do you get the sense that the American church really needs this message now more than ever? Oh, I think so. Um, particularly as as we move into a time when uh, it, it so I mean at least the myth used to be that you could go and, and plant a church and gather people together and within three years you have a hundred people worshiping together and mm -hmm. it was you know so long as you were faithful and you preached the word everything would go well. Right. Um, I think we're heading into a time where being church uh, rather than doing church, uh, being church is going to become much harder. Mm -hmm. uh, for us. Uh, of course, that's not news to our brothers and sisters around the world who've been right. facing that right. for many years now. Um, and uh, and in that situation, as I said, I think it's easy for us to become discouraged with ourselves and discouraged with God, because we often think that God has promised us more in terms of present success than, than He actually has. Um, you know, we think that our present existence in this world should be more heavenly than, than the Bible leads us actually to expect. Uh, and so this is a book written to people who are who are very much experiencing the muck and mess uh, of real life. Um, you know, I, I and I think some of this in seminary we don't serve our students well because we paint them this beautiful picture of the church from Acts mm -hmm. two, right. and, and 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 you know these young men go out expecting to have people hanging on every word and devoted <laughs> to the, to the teaching and the fellowship yeah. and community. Uh, and, and then they get out and they discover that instead of being landed in the book of Acts, somebody's landed them in the book of Judges. Uh, or, <laughs> That's and, a great way to describe it. Or, 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 or when people say to me, you know, we want to be a New Testament church. Mm, I just want to mm -hmm. say, well, wh which New Testament church did you have in mind? You know, yeah. Corinth with all the sexual immorality, uh, Galatia with all the false teaching. Um, mm -hmm. You know, pick a New Testament church and you, you just pick a whole bunch of problems. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, well, it, that, That's well, the nature of the Christian life. Yeah, it certainly is. Dr. Ian Duguid is my guest today here on The Bottom Line, and his new book, Ezra and Nehemiah, Rebuilding What's Ruined, I think is required reading for anybody in church right now. Uh, we've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. You're talking about the New Testament churches to uh, uh, to draft off of, or, or how many churches do say that. How about Colossae? I mean, let's let's go ahead and... Well, I heard this from somebody, and I'm not quite sure, but, you know, well, let's kind of mix a little Gnosticism, a little everything else in there. And I get the sense that you're right. I mean, that's what... We shouldn't be surprised when we see the Western church, but specifically the American church, kind of falling apart in certain other area, certain areas. Not that we wish this on other people, but we begin right. to realize, well, wait, when you talk about, quote, unquote, we're doing the Lord's work, we're, we're, we're worshiping right. God, I, I think we have some, uh, we've got some messed up, def, messed up definitions that we've just, we kind of missed what the Lord was really telling us when he was forming his church. Right. Yeah, I mean, what Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, and he's been very faithful to that promise. Um, and, and, and it is a promise, even though it's a painful promise. If you look at the seven churches that get letters written to them in Revelation, uh, the ones that have happy letters are all being persecuted. Right. Um, and the ones that are, you know, for whom life in a worldly sense is going well are the ones that are the most problems. 
mm-hmm. uh, like La- Laodicea, where they're rich, but yeah, yeah they're not spirit in spiritual terms. Yeah. Um, and so, so I think uh, what Ezra and Nehemiah shows us is 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 the beauty of being faithful in the small things. Mm. Um, you know, we we want to make a name for ourselves. You know, we want to be. Uh, the next, you know, fill-in-the-blank famous Christian preacher. We want to have our church be a thousand people. Um, and and there's something beautiful about faithfulness in the day of small things. Uh, people who say to God, I'm going to follow you, and uh, nobody's ever going to know about it. I'm never going to make the pages of Christianity today. Uh, I'm, you know, nobody's going to write a book about me, but... Uh, uh, I'm going to seek to be faithful in in the the, the small things that you've you've uh, given me to do, whether that's perhaps teaching a Sunday school class, uh, yeah, leading a little youth group, um, a thousand and one ways in which God's kingdom is faithfully served by His people, uh, in the midst of trials and difficulties and problems, uh, but people who are faithfully plunging through the mud and doing what God has told them to do, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. living faithfully and living fruitfully in and. The world's not always going to recognize that. Or as a buddy of mine who uh, was a pastor but also uh, found a way to run, he was a, a church, he called himself a church doctor. He'd go around and do counseling and, you know, with, with pastors or if there was any mm. kind of crisis, conflict resolution, that was his specialty. And he lived on a farm in somewhere in the Midwest. And what he had done was taken the farm. He, he used to work for a guy who logged and uh, he would you know, plant trees, let them grow for 40 years and then log them. And so this guy started a tree farm. And, uh, hmm. I, and I laughed and I said, well, gosh, Kent, I mean, that seems like it's going to take a long time. He says, yeah, I pulled my 13-year-old son outside and said, son, look, see all this empty land? This is your inheritance. And, uh, <laughs> with the, with, and he says, the kid looked at him and said, what are you talking about? Well, the fact that I'm going to, you know, we're, we're going to plant these seeds and, you know, eventually these trees are going to grow. And by the time you're old enough to really appreciate that, you're going to have a harvest. There's going to be fruitfulness. But I love the fact that he was so in tune with where God was, that he wasn't looking at the right now, how do I turn this church around? You know, how do I rebrand it and make it more appealing? Uh, You know, there's no sex appeal in saying it's going to take 40 years for this to turn around and you won't see the rewards of your labor. But that seems to be the the message of Ezra and Nehemiah. We've got to get things right now and let God take care of the other stuff, not trying to make it right for ourselves by our own standards. Right. Yeah, and and that we're not the solution the church really needs. Mm. Um, you know, Ezra and Nehemiah each have their own gifts, and one of the things that was really striking to me is how different they are from each other. Yeah. Uh, you know, Ezra is the quiet, scholarly academic. Um, you know, he would be a seminary professor in our context. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's an expert in the law. He gathers the people together and builds consensus, and uh, and there's negotiation in there. And and and, and then Nehemiah, yeah, he's. I mean, he, he's Arnold Schwarzenegger. Right? I mean, he's going <laughs> to jump in there and bang yeah. people's heads together, and uh-huh. uh, uh, you know, got a problem after La Vista, baby. We, we're going, we're going forward. He only knows one direction, and that's forward. Right. Um, right. And 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 you see it. You know, they both face the same problem, which is intermarriage with the the, the local women. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, Ezra's, you know, pulls out his own hair and, and hair up from his beard and, and mourns and laments. <laughs> Uh, Nehemiah pulls out the hair out of the heads of the guys who are doing this and says, <laughs> you know, you've got to get it for the program here. Yeah. Um, and and I, you know, I think I mean, as a culture, I think we gravitate towards Nehemiah because he right. fits our American right. model of the, of the Clint Eastwood lone cowboy hero. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
but Ezra also is called by God to that leadership task. You know, leadership in the church takes a wide variety of different kinds of people, yeah. and and neither of them ultimately achieve their goal. You know, the end of the book of Nehemiah is a real downer. Everything that Nehemiah has worked for is called into question as soon as he leaves town for just a few weeks. Um, and, and, and that's the point. Great though Ezra and Nehemiah are, they're called and gifted by God to their task. Uh, neither of them is going to bring in the promised kingdom of God. You know, both of them leave you looking beyond them to the coming of Jesus, the, the only one who combines all of the gifts perfectly, and the only one ultimately who can bring to completion the good work that God has begun. Dr. Ian Duguid is my guest today here on The Bottom Line, professor of Old Testament at Westminster Theological Seminary. Uh, this is his second book in the Gospel-Centered Life in the Bible series. His first one was on Jonah, Grace for Saint, Sinners and Saints. This new book on Ezra and Nehemiah is up at thebottomlineshow.com. More to come in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Want to continue receiving income into retirement with little market risk? Dennis Wilson and Wilson Financial Services can help you secure a permanent income and benefits addressing your risk tolerance with professional advisory knowledge. You have a large 401k or IRA as your retirement nest egg. How about a four-dimensional plan that will pay you and your spouse income for life without stock market risk? How about we include inflation benefits so your income goes up annually? How about we include extra income benefits for long-term care? And if you need one or both, you both have it. That's right, permanent income inflation benefits, long-term care benefits with no market risk. We have put over $50 million of our clients' money in the 4D account in the last few years. These clients are sleeping way better at night. Learn more when you call Wilson Financial today at 800-696-9970. 800-696-9970. Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. The good news is that God is a God of restoration and reconciliation. Um, you, you know that in the New Testament, we read that the Son of God was not sent to come and condemn and judge, but to save and redeem. And we see a foretaste of that in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. And today here on The Bottom Line, Dr. Ian Duguid is with us from Westminster Seminary, who's talking about a brand new book of his called Ezra and Nehemiah, Rebuilding What's Ruined. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we have a copy of the book to give away as well. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, that's the number to get you through to the bottom line. It's amazing if we were talking about that study about the good news that so many young people during the pandemic were willing to explore faith in Christ or, or maybe return to their faith in Christ. Only 35% still have that kind of connection to a faith community, specifically a church. And so as we continue on the other side of this break, listen to this conversation as it unfolds and understand that as a pastor, as a youth leader, as a young adult minister, this may be the kind of topic of conversation that will really help young people fully grasp the nature of God in the midst of ruin, whether it's opposition or you know bad worshiping or just flat-out discouragement. More of my conversation with Dr. Ian Duguid coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Dr. Ian Duguid is my guest today here on The Bottom Line, professor of Old Testament at Westminster Theological Seminary. Uh, this is his second book in the Gospel-Centered Life in the Bible series. His first one was on Jonah, Grace for Saint, Sinners and Saints, and actually uh, was an award winner or dom, uh, finalist in the ECPA's 2020 Christian Book Awards. This new book on Ezra and Nehemiah is up at thebottomlineshow.com, and it focuses the subtitle, 
describes it so perfectly. It, it focuses on focuses on rebuilding what is ruined. Um, when we hear the word ruin, or at least when I do in this culture, Dr. Duguid, I often think ruined as in beyond repair. And yet what we talk about here is there is a plan that God has for his people through Ezra and Nehemiah and their both their respective giftedness. Uh, talk about the role that repentance plays and also battling that discouragement. You were just talking about uh, Nehemiah, you know, the fact that uh, you know how many people who begin with the end in mind would say, well, gosh, why would you want to be Nehemiah if everything that you had worked for is called into question within literally weeks after you're, you're no longer being there? Right. Yeah, I mean, repentance is a key theme throughout these books. As, as the people are coming back, uh, being restored physically to the land, uh, they also need to, to turn their hearts towards the Lord. Uh, and often that's much harder to achieve than, than getting them physically back into the land. Um, we are so curved in on ourselves uh, that it, it takes a work of God to turn us away from ourselves towards God and towards repentance and recognizing and acknowledging these are the things that we've done wrong. These are the things that our culture has done wrong for generations. Uh, these are the things that as a church we've done wrong. Um, you know, repentance is not just an individual thing in these books. Uh, and, uh, but that's, that's a, a necessary agreeing with God. You know, saying, God, you're right, we are, uh, we are wrong. Um, but that then points you, in the, in the Old Testament, that inevitably pointed you towards sacrifices. That's one of the reasons why building the temple, particularly building the altar of the temple, was such a key part of, the, of returning to the land. Mm -hmm. uh, the altar was the place where the sacrifices were offered, which was uh, the Old Testament way of pointing forward to Christ as uh, mm -hmm. the ultimate Lamb of God who would come to take away the sins of the world. Uh, and uh, so uh, as they were rebuilding the, the altar, they were being reminded that uh, whatever we do to rebuild our society, we're still going to be sinful people, uh, and, uh, and our children are going to be sinful children, and our parents were sinful parents, and we need somebody to come and cleanse us of our sins. And, and that was beautifully pictured in all of those uh, Old Testament sacrifices. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. But uh, as long as the temple was in ruins, they, that those pictures were, weren't in place. Mm. Is the temple of the American church in ruins, Dr. Ian Duguid? I think there's a sense in which it always is. It's a different kinds of ruins. Okay. Um, I think uh, uh, the, we live in, in between the times. You know, Jesus has come, uh, he has died, he has risen, he has ascended to the right hand of the Father, he is our heavenly high priest. But we still wait for his return from heaven, and we still wait for him to finish the good work in us, right? Philippians 1.6, yeah. we are confident that, that Christ will finish that good work in us, but only on, on the day of his return, or the day when we go to be with him. Uh, so, so we are broken people, and therefore the church that we join will always be a broken church. If it's not broken before we join it, by the time we've finished with it, it will be broken. Uh, and so the scriptures are always pointing us beyond ourselves to Christ as our only hope in life and death. I'm talking with Dr. Ian Duguid today here on The Bottom Line. He's the author of the brand new study called Ezra and Nehemiah, Rebuilding What is Ruined. Uh, it's part of the Gospel-Centered Life in the Bible series that we've been featuring for the past year or so uh, here on The Bottom Line show with all these different, whether it's, we're, we're taking a look at the cleaner spots of the, the Bible from first John to Jonah to now Ezra and Nehemiah. We've got a link for the series up at the bottom line show .com, but this book in particular.
Uh, Dr. Duguid, got a couple minutes left in our, our conversation here. Uh, you mentioned repentance and how it is so key to both of these books. And I wonder how many people are experiencing, we, we talk often about the joy of the Lord and how that's kind of the hallmark of our faith. And it doesn't necessarily mean that we can't, can't be joyful in the midst of circumstances. Otherwise, our brothers and sisters in Iran and Afghanistan and China would be you know, doing some kind of counterfeit worship. Uh, talk about what the joy of the Lord looks like to Ezra, to Nehemiah, and how we can learn from their example. Yeah, so so they have this uh, uh, time to uh, to gather around the read- public reading of the law um, all day, basically reading scripture, which you know, again boggles our minds in the contemporary mm-hmm. church to, to oh, yeah. even the idea of that. Um, but as they're listening to to the law being proclaimed, to Moses being read to them, uh, and and the the Lord by His Spirit is applying that to hearts, they're recognizing we have not lived up to this. Mm. Um, and that, that should be our reaction when we read the Scriptures. We should be convicted of it, because we're not people with the faith of Abraham. We're not uh, uh, men after God's own heart like David. Uh, and we're certainly not anything like who Jesus is. Um, we are sinners. But the good news of the Scriptures is that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Yes. Uh, and, and, and so on that day, as the people are weeping as they're convicted of their sins, you know, as this, uh, and, and Nehemiah says to them, this is not a day for sadness. Right. Um, there's an, there's, there's an appro- you know, the joy of the Lord is our strength. There's an appropriate joy that we have in the midst of this repentance, because if we are recognizing ourselves as sinners, then we are identifying ourselves as precisely the people that our God has committed himself to. Yeah. That he is a God who is slow to anger, who's abounding in covenant faithfulness, who is swift to forgive wickedness, transgression, and sins, as he says in Exodus 34, 6, and 7. Uh, he is a God who is gracious, who is kind, who is merciful. And so in the midst of genuine sorrow over the reality of the mess in our lives, there is this tremendous joy that comes because God is the God who justifies the ungodly. Uh, he takes sinners like us and uh, clothes us in the perfect righteousness of Christ and makes us his beloved children, not based on us getting our act together and finally stopping being bad people, but based on the, the righteousness of Christ imputed to us by his free grace alone. So for anyone who is, is, is I, want, I hate to say sitting on the fence, but that just kind of you know it seems to be appropriate, uh, we see a lot of folks who uh, will be hesitant to embrace the good news of the gospel until they get their act together. You know, the, the message of Ezra and Nehemiah and rebuilding what's ruined does not imply in any way, shape, or form that you somehow have to rebuild the temple before God will inhabit it in the sense that you're living this ungodly life, but rather when you respond to his call. Then, we, like you talk about the reading of the word, uh, the reading of the word leads to repentance, it leads to weeping, but that weeping is, is healing. It, it's a, it's right. cathartic, if you will, and, that, and I think getting that order is important. That's why these books seem so important to us in the modern church today, Dr. Ian Duke. Yeah, and I mean, another book that often gets neglected, Haggai, a prophet who's right around the same time as the early chapters of, of Ezra. Uh, the emphasis in chapter one there is, the Lord says, I am with you. Mm. Now go and rebuild the temple. Not mm-hmm. uh, rebuild the temple and then I will be with you. Right. Uh, I'm with you. Yeah. Uh, you know, God is always the one who moves first. In this. Mm. He's always... You know, and you see it in the parable of, of the prodigal son. Uh, the father is not standing on the porch tapping his toe saying, you better repent really well this time, because otherwise <laughs> you're not coming in. 
right, you know, right. He, he is scanning the horizon for the, any sign of the sun so that he can mm-hmm. run to him and embrace him and welcome him home. And, and, and that's just a beautiful picture of who our God is. Yeah. Yeah, certainly is, because uh, something tells me that the prodigal son in that story didn't come to his senses by himself. I mean, that, that we, we would like yeah. to think that that was there, but someone had to wave those smelling salts under his nose, you know, to get that, that get that process going. And then once it did happen, then you see God working in the natural and the supernatural. Well, great conversation today, and I'm so grateful for the work that Dr. Ian Duguid has done on this great book that will be a, a benefit to, uh, I believe, every bottom line listener. The book is called Ezra and Nehemiah, Rebuilding What's Ruined. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Dr. Ian Duguid, thank you so much for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. Thank you very much. Well, what a great dialogue today here on The Bottom Line. And my thanks again to Dr. Ian Duguid, uh, PhD from University of Cambridge and MDiv from Western Westminster Theological Seminary. Uh, he is a, a professor of Old Testament there at Westminster and uh, the author of a brand new book that is a great, this is Bible study time, brothers and sisters. The book is called Ezra and Nehemiah, Rebuilding What's Ruined. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com and we're giving away a copy of the book today. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line, and you you want this book. These, the, this uh, New Growth series has just been phenomenal for our friends at New Growth Publishing. It, it's amazing how when you take a look at the Bible and say, I want to see the gospel in the scriptures, oftentimes the modern church will say, I want to see the gospel, so I want to turn to the Apostle Paul. I want to turn to the gospel, so I want to turn to, you know, what where the good news is. You know, we're New Covenant Christians, and that's what we should be doing. The thing I'm loving about this Old Testament study from New Growth, and, and I hope you are as well, is to see Jesus and the gospel story in the book of Ezra, in the book of Nehemiah, to do that kind of study that says, wow, if, they, if there seem to be some similarities here, it's because we used to consider them in the canon of Scripture to be one book. And so, you know, when you think about it, I mean, it's... Think about this story. Ezra and Nehemiah, you've got this backdrop of the theme is ruins. A ruined city, a ruined house of worship, ruined homes, ruined wall, ruined life with God. I mean, what they're dealing with is attacks from within and without. What else makes it so relatable, though, to all of us is that, quite frankly, you know, oftentimes when you lament the sin in your life, when you are facing opposition, you know, when you're battling discouragement, rather than looking at those forces out there that are trying to do something to us, really the best thing we could do is look in the mirror. I mean, I, I've heard the word of God described as a mirror that the saint, the saint of God holds up against his or her heart and says, okay, well, here's what God's law says. Here's what I should look like. But what do I really look like? I mean, the, the, it's a question that we have to ask ourselves often. I mean, are, we're worshiping God like crazy. Are we worshiping faithfully? I mean, not talking about, do we go every week and are we there five times a week and are we there for three or four hours and our service goes longer than your service and our music's louder than your music, but rather, are we worshiping faithfully in spirit and truth? I haven't heard the numbers, but I would be very curious to see how many home churches and small fellowships started during the pandemic. I'd be very curious to see the statistics on how many churches were not able to survive. I was talking with a, a pastor not too long ago who shared a, a mind-boggling statistic with me about a church for our Colorado listeners, KLDC, um, in your neck of the woods. 
And when he came on staff at that church, he said, you know, we had gone through, there had been a couple of scandals there. Uh, there had been some misappropriation of funds. He said, by the time I got to this church, they were $30 million in debt. I mean, ask yourself that question. How does a church get that much debt on the books and still focus on ministering the gospel? Now, I'm not suggesting a church shouldn't have a mortgage per se, but it is interesting because, I mean, God is a God who keeps score. You know, people say, well, wait a minute. I mean, didn't he forgive my sin and it's forgotten as far as the east is from the west? Well, he's forgiven it all right and he's forgotten it. But the reason he has is because there's a means to settle it up. And it always just boggles my mind in amazement how God is a God of restoration, but God is also a God of receipts, as they would say in the culture today. I think about the, uh, the Crystal Cathedral Ministries, the ministry of the late Dr. Robert Schuler and his family, and the old Garden Grove Community Church. It started at the Orange Drive-In, made its way over into Garden Grove to where the church began. And then, of course, the television ministry, the Hour of Power, which I believe continues to this day. His grandson, Bobby, is the uh, Bible teacher there with the Shepherd's Grove, I believe, is their church. But it got to the point as the Schuler family were in declining health and eventually getting ready to you know, kind of figure out what was left. I mean, this was one of the biggest ministries in the world in the 1980s. And now it was kind of going away with a whimper, losing their properties, losing their membership. I believe there is a remnant of that church that meets in a smaller community. But when the Catholic Archdiocese came in to uh, basically say, hey, we would like your current property, uh, they made an offer of like $53 million to buy the whole facilities and you know the ministry. And I thought, well, that's really interesting. It turned out that the ministry owed over $50 million. And basically God was providing a way for that church to kind of end up and settle up the books. I mean, let's not be deceived, brothers and sisters. For those of us who are Old Testament and New Testament focused, we understand this. For those who are just focusing on New Testament and saying, hey, I'm free, I'm forgiven, and you know, we're going to kind of keep running things like we do in Western culture, I don't think God is opposed to us building buildings. I don't think God is opposed to us you know, taking the time to get involved in ministry that has some tangible expressions and some costs that go along with it. But Man, I mean, when you see churches piling on tons and tons of debt, that's a little disheartening. And uh, rebuilding what has been ruined, oftentimes the reason the things that are of God are in ruins is because we ruined them. So let's take this, uh, uh, this lecture, if you will, on Ezra and Nehemiah to heart. And thanks again to Dr. Ian Duguid. The book, Ezra and Nehemiah, Rebuilding What's Ruined, it's up at thebottomlineshow.com. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through if you'd like to win a copy of the book. Hey, let's take a quick break. And speaking of things that have been ruined in the culture and God is rebuilding and doing a new thing, I've got a good news update from our friends at Preborn. It's coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Don't overpay on interest and fees by going with the wrong lender. Newport Bay Mortgage won't charge you points on your reverse mortgage wherever it is possible for them to do so. You will have peace of mind with the possibility of having additional cash to draw from to pay for unexpected expenses. Owner Cliff and his team do what they can to maximize the amount of cash available to you while minimizing the cost of closing. The result of having another stream of income relieves stress that you didn't even know was there. You'll save thousands by working with Newport Bay Mortgage because they avoid charging you points and they will never tack on unnecessary fees. When considering ways to relieve financial stress in, before, or for retirement, you need Newport Bay Mortgage. Visit kbrightradio.com slash reverse. Contact Cliff today. 
Call 714-741-8080. 714-741-8080. NMLS 332-559. Newport Bay Mortgage is an equal opportunity housing lender. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. And uh, we're giving away a copy of Dr. Ian Duguid's book on Ezra and Nehemiah, Rebuilding What is Ruined. Um, we've got one copy of that book to give away, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. Hey, I want to thank some people. Uh, well, first of all, you, um, but for being a part of the Bottom Line Show family um, and being a part of a tremendous campaign that we've been running all throughout the month of October. And we're going to continue all the way through the end of the year, but it's with our friends at Preborn. I was talking before the break about restoring things that have been destroyed in the culture. And one of the things that has been destroyed has been the family, largely because of the attacks on marriage, but also on the attacks of parenting. The number of women who are giving birth, I mean, our fertility rates being one thing, but the number of women who are actually giving birth is at all an all-time low here in the U.S. And as a matter of fact, we have some uh, zip codes in the United States where there are more abortions than live births, if you can imagine that. The work of preborn is so incredible. It's so huge because they do something very simple. They tell the truth and restore what has been taken away. Women don't know anymore that when you look at an ultrasound picture, what you're seeing is an actual human being, but not only an actual human being, that's your child. There was a uh, publication that came out a week or so ago and a fairly reputable publication that was trying to refute the humanity of the preborn child in the womb. And they showed some pictures of what they claimed were, here's what a human baby looks like at 10 weeks gestation, 12 weeks gestation. And it was literally just a blur. It looked like a pile of, uh, of uh, baking soda. I mean, literally, it was just a white blur. Um, crazier than the, the Challenger launch last night that left. The, wasn't that a trip? Seeing the sky looking like it was, a, we went out to go get some dinner and Lisa looked up and she goes, oh my gosh, it's almost like heaven, like God's parting the sky. It was so incredible. Um, and, and then we prayed, yes, Lord, please, <laughs> come on, we're ready. We are absolutely ready. But there've been so many tears and fractures and fissures against the family. And it starts with, that, I mean, first it was, you know, let's call into question. The enemy said, did God really say that a family is a husband and a wife, a man and a woman? Does it have to be that way? Can it be two men? Can it be two women? Can it be one person? I mean, aren't those acceptable families as well? There's a big difference between telling a single parent, for example, hey, I'm sorry about the divorce. I'm sorry that there was a death in your family, but you're doing a great job. And somebody's saying, you know what? Heck with the family thing. I just want to have a kid and raise my own family. And you know, I, people become parents for different reasons through adoption or, you know, wh whatever they do. But abortion is the biggest enemy of not only marriage, but also the family because of the number of children who never get a chance to see the light of day. And preborn is a unique ministry in that they take the opportunity to show the expectant mother her preborn child. And that's the first time they get to meet face to face. 83% of the time, you've heard this statistic before, when a mother sees the ultrasound of her baby, she says, I'm either going to become a mother, I'm going to keep this child and raise this child myself, or with my, my husband, boyfriend, whatever, 
Or we're going to place that child into one of the thousands of homes all across America that are looking for a child to adopt. And earlier this week, we had the opportunity, Scott Wilder from Preborn joined me, and we uh, basically took over the entire program on Tuesday. Don't always do that, but we did it that day just because I really felt this strong compulsion to say, we're going to save babies. Every time you make a $28 donation to Preborn, you save a child's life. But also, what 83% of the time you do. Want to make sure we're factually accurate here. Don't want the fact checkers coming in and saying, he's lying, stop the spread. You know. But also then the opportunity to say, hey, you know, we can do this per child. And many people gave gifts based on, you know, a $28 donation. Alana and Temecula called in with one of those. Good for you. Uh, Gilbert called in from Paris in the Inland Empire with a $56 donation. And that was fantastic. That's two, that's two kids. Uh, Rich in Colorado Springs, one of our KLDC listeners, called in with a $280 donation. Rich, thank you for that. Uh, Ten more kids saved there. But something remarkable happened on Tuesday because Dennis Wilson at Wilson Financial Services put up a matching gift. And that matching gift was $7,500. He said, if we can raise another $7,500, then we can take that and actually apply it toward the purchase of an ultrasound machine. That machine will save 200, can do about 250 ultrasounds a year, but it lasts for a couple of decades. Will literally save thousands of babies' lives with that $15,000 donation. Well, you prayed about it, you thought about it, and the gifts kept coming in after Tuesday, into Wednesday, into yesterday. On the other side of this break, I want to give you an update as to where we are with the preborn campaign and to offer a word of thanks for how successful it's been. Also here on this Good News Friday, don't forget, today is Pastor of the Week Day, our final Pastor of the Week winner for Pastor Appreciation Month. That's coming up. Lots of great things here. Good News Friday edition of The Bottom Line continues in just a moment. When a young mother hears her baby's heartbeat for the first time, everything changes. They know that's a baby. And when you partner with us and Preborn, you let them see the ultrasound image and God takes care of the rest. Roger Marsh here for Preborn, our newest member of the Bottom Line Show family. Preborn is helping women by helping them see their child on the ultrasound, hear that baby's heartbeat for the first time after getting that pregnancy test, and you'd be amazed at the results. So far for the first half of this year, more than 25,000 babies have been saved through Preborn, and 25 ultrasound machines have been placed. Now it costs $28 to provide a free ultrasound for a woman who's facing an unplanned pregnancy and wondering what to do with the child. We tell her what option number three is in addition to option one and two. Option one, of course, you're a mom. Option two, legally, you can get abortion in some states. But option number three is adoption, and the ultrasound makes option number one or three much more palatable. Call 833-850-BABY right now. Make a $28 donation to save one life. Make a $28 a month donation to save a life each and every month. That's less than a dollar a day. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-2229, or click the preborn banner when you go to kbrightradio.com today. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Just a couple minutes left if you want to get in on the drawing for the uh, brand new book by Dr. Ian Duguid, who was my guest today earlier in the program. Uh, we talked about Ezra and Nehemiah and Rebuilding What's Ruined. We've got one copy of that book that we're giving away right now, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. This is a great Bible study resource. I mean, if you have been really grieving and lamenting your sin 
in life or the sin that's all around you if you're facing opposition because of your faith. We all know that's the heartbeat of the Ezra and Nehemiah story. Uh, to being faithful to worshiping God in spite of opposition from the culture, battling dis- discouragement and disagreement. This is a great resource to have and a good one for Bible studies too. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Wrapping up this uh, half hour on the Bottom Line Show on this Good News Friday with sharing good news with you uh, with regard to our uh, friends at Preborn. I mentioned before the break, we had several people calling in during the course of the week. Uh, Audivere, it looks like, uh, called in from Irvine with a $350 donation this week, and we're so grateful for that. Nancy in Escondido, a $500 donation. So did Christian in, is it Salida? Salida, I always get that mixed up, or Central California listeners, another $500 donation. And Gerhard in Downey, California, $1,000 donation. Those are the ones that were coming in toward the end of our two-day, what turned out to be a two-day push to match Dennis Wilson's $7,500 gift and get enough money for an ultrasound machine. And I'm here to tell you today, mission accomplished. Thank you so very, very much. Bottom line listeners have raised enough money to provide one brand new ultrasound machine for one of the pregnancy health centers that our friends at Preborn work with. And so thank you to Scott Wilder from Preborn for joining me earlier this week. For everybody who called in, we had a couple of dozen people make donations anywhere from $28 to $2,800, and then, of course, Dennis's match. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Remember, when you go to thebottomlineshow.com or kbrightradio.com, you can still make a contribution to Preborn. It's completely tax-deductible, and 100%, every penny you give of every dollar you give is going to... uh, is going to be invested right here in Bottom Line Show territory, uh, helping pregnancy health centers, the ones who have ultrasound machines, the $28 per child gift helps them continue in that practice, or the ones that don't have them, one of them is now going to get one thanks to Bottom Line Show listeners, and I'm so grateful that you uh, dug deep and, uh, and, and participated in this campaign here in the month of October. For our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your day. We have uh, Discovering the Jewish Jesus with Rabbi Schneider coming up next on the other side of this break. For those who remain, it is Good News Friday. We have more good news to share with you to get you into the weekend, especially as you're getting ready for your fall harvest festivals and, and yes, Reformation Day, which is coming up this Monday. Oh yeah, they also call it that other H word as well. And we're also going to be revealing the final winner of our Pastor of the Week competition that's been going on all throughout Pastor Appreciation Month, all throughout the month of October. That's coming up next as the bottom line continues. Welcome back to this good news, good news, good news Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marshall. Welcome if you're just now tuning in. Uh, Thanks to Dr. Ian Duguid for joining us in hour number one to talk about Ezra and Nehemiah. Make sure you check out his book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Also, thanks to everybody who participated in our event this week, actually for the entire month of October, we've been focusing on two things, pastor appreciation and uh, our friends at Preborn. And uh, we have raised enough money now to generate the revenue, if you will, for an ultrasound machine um, in addition to saving 100 or so babies. So with that opportunity for you to participate is still there. If you'd like to join, uh, go to kbrightradio.com or go to thebottomlineshow.com. You'll find a banner on either of those websites, a banner that's just talking about preborn. And when you go to that banner, click on the banner. And if you've got a credit card that you use on a regular basis for that kind of thing that, that will have autofill, 
Uh, just go ahead and punch that number in. By the time you hit your CVC code, 28 seconds or less, your donation's done. 100% tax deductible, and every penny of it goes to the mission of the uh, of preborn. Now, I, people have asked us during the course of the month, well, what do you mean you can give 100% to ultrasounds and ultrasound machines? Don't they have marketing costs? Don't they have to print materials? Don't they have to hire people and pay rent and stuff like that? Well, yes, they do. But in doing so, um, they have separate fundraisers for that. So this is a campaign that's designed exclusively for uh, not only providing ultrasounds for women in, I like to say, unplanned pregnancies. I don't know how many of them anymore with modern medical technology are crisis. I mean, it might be a crisis in the sense that there's a lot of anxiety because a teenage girl gets pregnant and her parents are horrified or her boyfriend doesn't want to be a dad yet or she doesn't want to be a mom. Or sometimes it's a family that has a lot of mouths to feed and they were hoping that they were done having kids and God blesses them with one more. And then all of a sudden, you know, what do you do? Can we afford this kid? And that's a, that's a real problem for a lot of families. So rather, would that we be a bit more compassionate and understanding and not just immediately go to, well, that's a baby, you can't kill a baby, but rather to ask the question, how are you feeling? I'll, I'll never forget one of the most passionate pro-life advocates I'd ever heard of. Um, we had a chance to have him on the Bottom Line show back in 2013, and his name is, escapes me uh, for right now, but his name isn't as important as what he said. This is a guy who used to go out and stump. You know, he was out in front of buildings, and he'd been arrested before, and he was passionate in trying to shut down abortion clinics. But I asked him, I said, well, when you're there, and a woman comes up and she's trying to get in the clinic. What do you ask her? What, what's the, how do you, you've only got a few seconds to get her attention. She's just going to blow you off because you're one of those crazy people. And he said, the question I find I have the most success with when asking a young woman about her unplanned pregnancy is I'll, I'll try to look her in the eye and say, hey, how are you? How are you doing? And I said, really? That's it? That, that, that sounds kind of colloquial and familiar. He said, oh, no, 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 no. Because when they know that you really are asking how are they, they're a bundle of nerves. They're a nervous wreck. That, that young woman has so many different voices inside her head, and they are all pointing fingers at her and screaming at her and telling her she's wrong with whatever decision she makes. So someone coming alongside and just saying, hey, I'm not here to try to persuade you one way or the other. I just want to care for you and show you that there's somebody who thinks of you as more than just this pregnancy. He said, it's amazing how many women would open up to him at the clinic once they knew that he really cared about them. Something to think about um, as we consider uh, how we handle ourselves with the sanctity of human life. I mean, there are some things we could do directly. Vote no on Proposition 1 here in California, the bill that would literally codify uh, abortion into the California Constitution. It would make it virtually impossible to get rid of it and basically also classify abortion as just another form of contraception, which you and I both know is not true. I mean, the, the left is missing something here when they try to convince us that abortion and contraception are synonymous and interchangeable and that even abortifacients, like the morning-after pill, um, are the same as contraception. They're not. I mean, a basic understanding of the English language, but also a basic understanding of science this is one place where we could really help educate people on the on the left who think that abortion is health care and uh, contraception and abortion are well, essentially 
the same thing. Contraception keeps a pregnancy from happening. Abortion ends a pregnancy by killing the child. It's really, I mean, <laughs> analysis, balance, and clarity, it's really very simple. It's not easy to understand because there are a lot of young women who don't want to have to face that fact. They don't want the reality of that. But organizations like Preborn help them see that. And that's why I'm passionate about supporting them, and I'm grateful you are too. 833-850-BABY. You can make a donation there, 833-850-2229, or go to kbrightradio.com or thebottomlineshow.com, and you can click on the banner there and make a donation. One of the issues that young people are saying that they are concerned about in this election cycle is, in fact, abortion. But it's amazing how many young people, I shared with you in the earlier hour, there was a, a study that was conducted by a new group asking Generation Z kids ages 13 to 25, about 10,000 of them were surveyed and asked them how they were dealing with mental health during the pandemic because mental health was the biggest challenge they said they had. And it was amazing how 57% said that they were either going back to the religion of their youth or they were trying a religious expression and prayer and Bible study and attending worship service was kind of leaning into the top of the heap. About 51% of young people said that that has been helping them with their mental health, but only 35% are connected to a church on a regular basis. Well, along those lines, when you think about young people and how to reach out to them, and I say that to us as grandparents, uh, Lisa and I have four grandchildren now. Uh, little Nazareth was born on Monday, so he's, what, five days old. And then Zipporah is about 18, 19 months of age. Her birthday's in March. And then Isaac turned five this past summer. He's in pre-kindergarten right now. And then Riley is turning 12 on... Sunday, and she is, um, yeah, she's 12 going on 35. I mean, that <laughs> she's, she has that kind of middle school attitude, right? But as grandparents, especially, we're always looking for ways we can connect with our grandkids, right? And what are the easiest ways to do it? Something fun or something food? I mean, that's really, really those are the two go-tos, right? I mean, I've got good memories of growing up. My grandmother on my mom's side loved ice cream. Love sweets, love seized candy. Boy, you want to talk about bonding? When Lisa and I started dating and she asked me one day if you wanted to go to C's and pick up a couple of pieces of chocolate, I went, you are the woman for me. Uh, <laughs> now you look at, our, look at my midsection and say, well, maybe you want to back off on some of that C's, Roger. But nonetheless, um, it's amazing how as grandparents, especially, or maybe you're a parent. I mean, I realize not everybody who is of our age is a grandparent. I mean, a lot of people are, you know, new families and you've got kids that you're dealing with. But it's amazing how, when it comes to young people especially, what do you do to hang out? I'll share a story with you quickly. A couple of weeks ago, uh, my son Jake and I had a chance to go get coffee and a breakfast sandwich before he went to work and I came to the studio. And uh, we're living in different cities now and he's 28 years old. But when he was in high school, his mom and I were going through a divorce. And so he was with her uh, Monday through Friday and with me on the weekends. And so Monday... I had to get to work and he had to get to school. So we would hit a coffee place that had breakfast sandwiches and we would grab something like that, then get in my truck and I'd head on down and drop him off at school and then I'd head my way to work. And we had a lot of great times together. We had a lot of awkward times too. I mean, sometimes we were really deep and heavy in conversation. Sometimes it was lighthearted and fun. Sometimes it was just, I'm not talking to you, you know, and it was, it was challenging, but that happened all the way through his senior year in high school where he eventually got his own transportation and was able to do it. And he graduated from high school in 2013. So it had almost been 10 years since we had done something like this. And so I, 
I we were talking about how our, it looked like our schedules were aligning and we lined up and and so we went out for a coffee and breakfast sandwich and talked and you know usually when we would meet before dad did a lot of the dad dump I did a lot of lecturing and he did a lot of listening but this time it was nice to sit back and listen to him talk about his new position he's teaching uh, instrumental music at Elisa Vio Christian School and um, got a Bible study group there, which he's never had before. I mean, even in high school, he was kind of a lone wolf. And now there are seven or eight guys who teach at the school, and they're a Bible study group. They meet every other week, and it's fantastic for him. And he was just effusive about that and talking about the places he's teaching. He's a, he's a musician, and he's working on a master's degree in trombone. And I just sat back there and said, wow, this is great. This is so, it was so cool. I'm so blessed that God has uh, restored some things to him. He'd had a tough romantic relationship that he's kind of healing up from and um but just to see how his life is taking flight and you know i started thinking about next steps you know for for him but how that place to go was so important and uh there's a new survey uh, called taking stock with teens it's done semi-annually they just released their 44th edition of this and they were talking about spending habits of teens in the u.s and where they like to go. And they looked at fast food restaurants in that category because kids still like to do that. And they were looking at the different types of restaurants as places where they like to go. If you are looking for a way to bond with your child or grandchild, especially if you've got grandkids who are in a certain age group, stay with me through the break because on the other side of this break i'm going to tell you where is the best place to take them based on this survey based on what they say teenagers like to do when it comes to fast food okay this is your grandparenting tip for the week it's coming up next as the bottom line continues when a young mother hears her baby's heartbeat for the first time everything changes they know that's a baby and when you partner with us and Preborn, you let them see the ultrasound image and God takes care of the rest. Roger Marsh here for Preborn, our newest member of the Bottom Line Show family. Preborn is helping women by helping them see their child on the ultrasound, hear that baby's heartbeat for the first time after getting that pregnancy test, and you'd be amazed at the results. So far, for the first half of this year, more than 25,000 babies have been saved through Preborn, and 25 ultrasound machines have been placed. Now, it costs $28 to provide a free ultrasound for a woman who's facing an unplanned pregnancy and wondering what to do with the child. We tell her what option number three is in addition to option one and two. Option one, of course, you're a mom. Option two, legally, you can get abortion in some states. But option number three is adoption, and the ultrasound makes option number one or three much more palatable. Call 833-850-BABY right now. Make a $28 donation to save one life. Make a $28 a month donation to save a life each and every month. That's less than a dollar a day. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-2229, or click the preborn banner when you go to kbrightradio.com today. Well, welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Martian. Before the break, we were talking about a new study, the Taking Stock with Teens survey. 15,000 teenagers all across the country. This is during the summer and early fall that basically um, they were taking a look at how kids like to spend their money and their time and things like that. And I thought this one statistic was interesting because it was asking about where do teens like to go for food? Where do they like to eat? Because especially for parents and especially for grandparents, when you've got time with kids coming up at the holiday season or whatever, and you're wondering, what do I do with them? How do I get them to open up? I mean, let's face it. 
your kids are doing a great job raising your grandkids, hopefully. But, you know, when you've got some one-on-one time grandma and grandpa, um, you, you need to be intentional. I know it's tough, especially if you're still working, to be as intentional as you'd like to be with your grandkids. But uh, one of the best places you can get them to open up is take them to a place where they like to go. Um, I know my son Isaac, uh, my son, my grandson Isaac, uh, my son-in-law and daughter Emily and Brian, um, he has special dietary needs. And so we pick a place that's really fun for him, but also maintains that, uh, you know, that integrity to his system. And it's amazing how many great conversations you have when you're going to get a vegan donut from Whole Foods or something like that, because that works best with his system. Anyway, so this new poll, especially gearing up for the holidays, I think this is a perfect Good News Friday story. If you, as a grandparent, are looking for a place to take your grandkids, number one is taking stock with teen survey response, Chick-fil-A. And it wasn't even close. You might think, well, they like coffee, maybe a Starbucks or a pizza or something like that. Nope. <laughs> and they're... Uh, as far as fast food goes, even In-N-Out didn't make the list, by the way. Uh, Chick-fil-A did. 18% of the respondents, so nearly one out of every five kids in this survey, said that Chick-fil-A is their favorite restaurant. So if you're looking for an easy mark as to where you take your grandkids and get them to open up a little bit, uh, I know my friend and mentor, Dr. Jim Burns, always likes to say, uh, fun food will get a kid to open up faster than just about anything. So why not take them to Chick-fil-A? By the way, the top five, Chick-fil-A had 18%. Starbucks was second at 12. Chipotle, 7%. McDonald's, 6%. And Olive Garden? How did Olive Garden get on the list? I mean, that's where we like to go, right? I mean, I, we didn't, wouldn't think our grandkids would want to go there too. But uh, nonetheless, and so if you're a parent um, and you have kids at that age, um, keep that in mind as well. But I just kind of figure that uh, knowing our bottom line audience the way I do, that chances are the majority of us have... Uh, if we have teenagers in our world, it's because that's our grandkids. And so uh, Chick-fil-A is the place that they like to go, according to a new survey. Uh, this is the Taking Stock with Teens survey. They do this twice a year and have done so for a couple of decades. So I uh, just wanted to throw that out there as you are taking that into consideration. Okay, we're going to take a quick break here in just a moment. But before we do, uh, well, I tell you that uh, we're wrapping up a promotion that's been a ton of fun for us to do this month. And that is our uh, Pastor of the Week Appreciation Program. It's just been so much fun. I mean, as as a pastor, knowing what it's like to have been in the uh, in that world and have that, you know, go into the office someday and, and find the, uh, uh, the note that's there from uh, a parishioner, you know, in a small token of their appreciation. Sometimes it's a gift card to a place like Chick-fil-A. Sometimes it's a place that's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it might be another restaurant. It might be a little uh, vacation spot, a few bucks off on Amazon, maybe some coffee, something like that. Just to be recognized and to know that people are seeing you and appreciate what you do. I always appreciated the pastor's appreciation gifts. This year, however, we're doing something here on the Bottom Line Show where we're giving away goodies that have been provided by other pastors and other ministries here. And I, I was mentioning early in the program, the, um, the, 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 the gift basket that we're giving is really substantial. I mean, it's really nice. I, was t- I, I finally took some time on Tuesday as we were finishing up our big uh, preborn push and uh, took a look at the baskets that Crystal and Teresa put together. They're in the conference room here. They're going to be distributed this week. And, I, man, they were really impressive. We've got 
goods and stuff in there from our friends at Pastor Rick's Daily Hope, Rick Warren's ministry that's heard every weeknight at 6 here on Bright, and um, also David Jeremiah, of course, with Turning Point. I'm from Shadow Mountain Church in El Cajon. Um, David's been part of Bright since there's been a Bright, and uh, Charles Stanley's ministry is represented, and the list goes on. So our pastor of the week this week is someone who comes from a church in the Inland Empire, a church that is, I, I should point out too, a church that is well within the listening range of our FM signal in Southern California, 100.7. You may not know this, there's not a KBRT FM per se, but there is a uh, translator, as it were, a low-powered signal at 100.7 that kind of bounces around. If you're in one city, it's broadcasting one signal. If you're in another, it might be doing another. But in the city of Corona, California, population 150,000, KBRT FM 100.7 is where if you are a Corona uh, resident or, or you drive through there, if you drive down the 91, just past the 15, you'll pick it up, and it should take you most of the way to the 71. Not a huge uh, listing area, but I should point out that our pastor of the week this week comes from a staff member who is part of a large church in Corona that is well within our 100.7 FM listening radius. Okay, so did that perk your ears? We'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to draw the final name. Well, I've already drawn it. I'm going to announce the final name. I'm holding it right here. I'm like, well, I'm going to draw it. I could put it back in and draw it again if you want to, but I went ahead and drew it during the last commercial break. Um, who our winner is and why his ministry, I think, is so important for Cape Wright and bottom line listeners. Okay. We'll talk about that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Let Wilson Financial Services help you identify proprietary financial strategies for your wealth that work for your life. Let's revisit our one year CD. Had a client who had $500,000 of retained earnings in his corporation for the last three years. I said, if you'd have put that into this account three years ago, you'd have seventy-five dollars to $100,000 of interest versus what you have now, which is a nice round number. Had a client sell his house, had $450,000 in the bank. I told him, is he really not likely to buy a house in the next 12 months? You want to leave this in the bank earning nothing? Or would you like to earn some interest on it over the next 12 months? So he said, how much? I said, well, how about between 20 and 30,000? He says, zero versus 20 or 30,000. Yeah, he says, I like the 20 or 30,000. Sounds better. Aren't you tired of earning nothing with all the money you have in the bank? Call 800-696-9970. 800-696-9970. Or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and this is the final Pastor of the Week Award presentation that we have here on the Bottom Line Show. Thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone, the dozens of Bottom Line Show listeners who went to kbrightradio.com, found the Pastor Appreciation Month banner, clicked on the banner, and then filled out the quick little survey asking why your pastor should be chosen to be Pastor of the Week. And also kudos, and I mean this most sincerely, to everyone who nominated someone on the pastoral staff other than the senior pastor. Now, don't get me wrong. The senior pastors at these churches, every senior pastor has a a lion's share of work to do, and every one of the churches that has come in with a nomination that has nominated the senior pastor, um, thank you for doing that, because your senior pastor deserves that recognition. But there are so many churches that have different branches of ministry, and I think it's important for us to 
to recognize that. And it's important for churches, too, to understand your congregation, understand your community, understand your church, and understand what is needed in this community. And in this day and age, um, this our winner for this week, uh, I mentioned I've already selected his name. I'm going to announce it right now. Um, I, he has an area of ministry that I think is very, um, very important. Um, our winner for the fifth and final Pastor of the Week Award here on the Bottom Line Show at K-Bright Radio is Pastor Doug Housen. Doug, H-O-U-S-E-N, Housen of Crossroads Christian Church in Corona, California. Right smack dab in the middle of our listening area for FM 100.7. Now, a listener by the name of Lori Alicon uh, was the one who nominated Pastor Doug. And I, I love what Doug does. Here's what she wrote. Doug is the senior ministries pastor at Crossroads Church. My husband and I attend the classic service, which is geared toward seniors, and a midweek service called Encore, both of which Doug oversees. Encore has community members come in and give presentations on all different topics and a luncheon afterwards every week. Doug works tirelessly to foster a wonderful community of seniors who know and care about each other. Even during the pandemic lockdown, he kept everyone involved online. He also leads trips to the Holy Land and gets people involved in missions. He emphasizes the youthfulness of our members with more life experience and encourages encourages stepping out in new ways to serve God. In addition to this, Pastor Doug Housen is always overflowing with the joy of the Lord. Even though his job entails many sad things like dealing with sickness and, and also officiating at funerals, uh, Pastor Doug sees the Lord working through every circumstance and knows that knowledge flows out in love and encouragement. I love our church, and I feel fortunate to have Doug Housen as our pastor. Well, Doug, congratulations, my friend. You are the final winner of our Pastor of the Week prize pack, which includes a variety of different books, of different resources, DVDs, things of that nature. And the senior ministry at Crossroads Church is going to receive 100 Bibles. And I'm sure your senior pastor, Chuck Boer, uh, is thrilled that that's all happening. So uh, thank you, uh, Lori, for nominating Pastor Doug. Thank you for pinpointing the guy who heads up. If if you watch Pastor uh, Chuck and Pastor Craig Long, who are at uh, Crossroads, if you go to the worship service on Sunday morning and you hear the rock and roll and the light show and stuff, or you watch it online, uh, you may not know that they have a thriving senior ministry, but in all honesty, it's a great church. And uh, I am pleased and blessed, so blessed, uh, to be a part of it in some small way. Uh, When Lisa and I started dating, I discovered that that was her home church. And we attended on many occasions, and I know that her kids were baptized at that church. They have a very sm- uh, church is a very special part in their lives as well, and so I kind of felt like it's my uh, one of my adopted other churches as well. And so it's nice to see the senior ministry get recognized. The reason why I, I think Doug's ministry is so important. When I was in my seminary training, I had to do a couple of uh, projects on. I was overseeing some of the things with our senior ministry, and it occurred to me at the time I just turned fifty. And I realized that for a lot of churches, senior ministry starts at age 50. But my church had people in their 50s, their 60s, their 70s, their 80s, even active members in their 90s. Now, you would never have a quote-unquote youth group that started with age 5 and continued to age 45 and called a youth group. But we do that with senior ministry sometimes. And I want to exhort our pastors and our church leadership, I want to challenge you to take a look at senior ministry and do senior ministry in such a way that is active and vital and 
definitely a part of your church. But also understand, too, that for me at age 61, senior ministry looks a lot different than it does for somebody at 71 or 81 or even 91. And I can speak to that fact because we have so many actively engaged bottom line show listeners who run the gamut in age. We might do a call in someday on some topic and I'll get a couple of people in their 30s, a couple of people in their 90s. I mean, it's, it's not uncommon. Let's not fall into the trap of saying our church is going to be one dimensional. We're just for the older folks. We're just for the younger folks. We're a youth oriented church. Remember, it's the family of God and the body of Christ. We minister to everybody in every season of life. And don't discount the person that you know who might be a few years on in age, who does not have a faith tradition, has not accepted grace, uh, salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ just yet. Because it's very, very possible to meet somebody. I, I still think of uh, a, a now departed saint by the name of Cal Bien, who was part of Lutheran Church of the Cross for many, many years. And I saw Cal, he's kind of this nice, fun, kind of happy guy. I didn't realize he used to be a pretty high-powered Hollywood agent, like a marketing PR type of guy. And he'd had some medical challenges late in life. He had never married. He had a niece who was close by. But he found himself in his later years. He was kind of alone. He started attending a church just to meet people. And he wound up becoming a Christian, one of the most on-fire men you'd ever want to know for the Lord. And he left a pretty nice financial legacy for ministry that would have just been swallowed up in taxes and other things. So think in terms of every person you come in contact with as a missionary opportunity to get to know them either as a brother and sister in Christ or a potential brother and sister in Christ. And Doug Housen and the great senior ministry at Crossroads Church in Corona, congratulations on being named our Pastor of the Week here during Pastor Appreciation Month. Can I encourage us as bottom line listeners to make every month Pastor Appreciation Month, every week Pastor Appreciation Week, and every day Pastor Appreciation Day? Let's not take the men and women who lead us and guide us and shepherd us for granted. That's the good news, and that's the bottom line.